0: Good to see everybody. Welcome to our family room. Lucas, could I get you to grab the lights? I can't see anybody. I have to be able to read your reactions and whatnot. Oh, good morning. Welcome to our family room. This feels better. I like the lights on. Thank you, Tom and worship team, everybody who participated in last week's service. I was home under the weather. Um, I was in denial for part of the weekend, and uh, then I pushed it a little harder than I should have, and my body told me what to do, and I, I just ignored it, and I reaped the consequence of some of those decisions, but I'm a well man. I was a well man even through it. I just, my body wasn't 100% lined up with what the Word said, so thank you all for carrying on last sunday. It's good to be back though. It's good to be here. Is everybody is is it good? Everybody doing good this morning? It's nice the sunshine this morning. That was like it gives you a different feel. The cloudy dreary February isn't exactly the greatest, so it's nice to have the sunshine. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been learning through scripture that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just save us to leave us how it finds us. And that's that, I'll I'll say this, that principle is maybe overdone a lot of times in a lot of places or underdone. And what we're seeking to do is to really, like Paul told Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. We don't want to Divide the word of truth in the way that some theologians have, where they just cut scriptures out. It's like, well, I don't really like that, so we'll just not read that part. Um, And it's also not to just draw a line in the middle of the Bible and say, well, this half is that and this half is this. It's to discern, it's to be a steward of the word of God, to allow the word of God to say to us what the Holy Spirit intends it to say in its fullness. We shared two weeks ago about, you know, in the class of learning to live life with the Holy Spirit, the required reading is the full counsel of the Godhead. It's the whole Bible. It's not to just read like, oh boy, I'm going to read up to this one little bullet point in my study Bible because everything after that doesn't line up with my particular feeling right now or something that I have maybe have popular teachers have said. And so I'm just going to avoid that. Because I'm sure the teachers are probably right, and I'm sure they're not been avoiding this stuff. And so we talked about a few weeks ago, and we've touched on it each time, and we're going to keep touching on it because I, want us, I want, really want us to carry this around with us, is the equation metaphor. Remember, everybody remember this? If I give you a two and a plus symbol, and another two, and an equals symbol, and a four, you can arrange all of those in a true equation. And we talk you can also arrange them in an untrue equation, Right? You can put a two and then plus a four and put an equal sign and then a two. And it's like, I mean, even the homeschooled ones among us know that that's not an accurate or true equation, right? You've got to have them in the right order. And the same is true when we're understanding Scripture and salvation and right standing with the Father. For so many years, we put grace, which is God's part, plus faith, which is our part, believing, and then For a lot of church, a lot of religion over the years added right living or good behaving as relative to your fellow man equals right standing with the Father. And then along the line, the Holy Spirit's like, that's not a true equation. That's like two plus four equals two. That's not accurate. You did did the math wrong on that. And so what a lot of Christians did is we took that right living and we're like, we don't really know where to put it, so let's just white it out. And then we said that the equation for living living as in right standing with the Father is grace, God's part, plus faith, believing, which is our part, equals right standing with the Father, end of equation. How many of you know we've learned that that's a fine equation until you read Scripture because all through Scripture, including all sorts of new covenant books, talk about abstain from this, stop doing that. The things you used to do, don't do those anymore. And so we either have to get really good and creative at reading around those passages or we have to square with the fact that that part right living, making decisions better than we used to, can I get an amen? It's got a place. So what we're seeking when we study scripture and we're not studying it because we're not we're not studying it to prove ourselves right or to prove anybody else wrong, we're studying to be approved a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. And as we study, we see that Scripture reveals that the equation that is truth in the New Testament is grace, which is God's part. It's free. You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Nothing you'll ever do will deserve grace. If you have to earn it, it's no longer grace. So that's God's part is grace. It's a free gift of God. Your part is to believe, which is faith, and then equals right standing with the Father and right living. See, those two are together. Now, it's it becomes people get really like, well, okay, but so that means I'm never going to screw up. No, that's not what we're talking about at all. It's, you're going, we're going. That's life. We're in a fallen world. We're fallen people. Our flesh is still fallen. Paul alludes to this, and i I'm not even alludes to it. He explicitly talks about this several times in his letters. There's this. There's a tension that exists. Everybody know what tension is, right? You know, for me to hold my hand up here right now, there's tension. There's a muscle hooked to a piece of cartilage or or tendon or whatever, and hooked to another bone, and a bone here, and a bone here, and a bone here, and muscles, and and they're all the for you to move your arm. There's a tension required. There's this tension that exists in the life of a believer between your recreated spirit, which is what was done at that equal sign. In the equation, that's your it's done. When you mix your believing with the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, you get the equals. But there's a tension that exists because Jesus didn't save us to leave us. He didn't say, you know what? If I can just get you guys born again, you just carry on with whatever it was you, you was doing before. He loves us too much because sin will ultimately always produce death. You say, well, not if I'm born again. No, it won't produce eternal death if you're born again, but you'll still reap the whirlwind of death in this life. You know that sin can bring about death and it'll kill relationships. I'm talking, oh, you're like, sin, okay. Oh, where does this fit? Sin, verb sin. The how many of you know what a verb is? Somebody shout it out. It's an action word. Man, you guys all went to real school, didn't you? I had to think about that. A verb, an action, sin. The doing of the dumb things is what we're talking about. You do the dumb thought. You think the dumb thought. You do the thing that is missing the mark. The word in the Greek is hamartia, which is a missed mark. It doesn't say by how much. You know the Bible says that whatsoever is not of faith. That is sin. I got to sit down. Whatsoever... Whatsoever, that's King James. Does anybody else in here speak fluent King James? We need a translator. What's, Trey, I know does not speak fluent King James. So whatsoever means anything. Means whatsoever. Could be anything. Anything that is not of faith, that is not done in believing faith, that's a missed mark. We hear sin and we think drugs, prostitution, prostitution. Uh, you know, violent crime, that's what we, our minds, because we, you know, we've got Americanized and we got this awesome English language. We're like, we got like 600 words and we got to make everything in the world fit into 600 words. So, like, well, we're just going to have to use one word, we're going to call it sin. But the, the principle really in Scripture is that there's, there's a nature of sin and then there's the action. The nature was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. He became sin for us. He didn't become an action. How many of you know he wasn't on the cross doing all the things that we think of, of sin? Do you know what I mean? He wasn't, he was not on the cross becoming, you pick the worst 10 sins you can think of. He wasn't doing that. No, Jesus took care of the actual root. He cut it off at the root. He said, I'm gonna become the nature, I'll take care of the problem of sinful nature the action part of our lives this choosing to do the dumb things that's still a battle there's a tension that exists because while we were crucified with Christ it is therefore no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me That's what paul says while that's true we're still in the flesh does anybody anybody remember the day they got born again did you immediately look different i mean like like, you were blonde, and now it's like, now I'm a brunette. Or you were tall, and now all of a sudden you're short. You might say, is that what happened to you, Isaac? No, I was always short. <laughs> Nobody, you, when I, the day I got born again, it was a cold November day. It had snowed a little bit. It was a Tuesday night. And I laid down in bed that night, and the, the only thing that changed in my life, I looked exactly the same, exactly the same, the only thing that changed is when I laid down in bed that night, I slept like a baby because I wasn't afraid of dying anymore. That's the only thing that changed. But I looked the same. And you know, the next day, I misbehaved the same way as a nine-year-old the day before. Does anybody relate to that? Like, there's still this tension that exists. There's, this, there's a pressure over here that says, uh, you're not that anymore. And then there's the pressure over here, the natural environment that we live in, our own sinful flesh, like the part of the sinful, by sinful, I mean, the verb part of our flesh is still saying, this feels good. This is who we are. This is what we've always done. This is what everybody else does. And then if we get to listening, there's a part of our, voice, or a part of our, our, our head voice, and this is like one of the worst parts of us, is like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. But did you miss the mark? Yes, but they missed it by a mile. But the principle of hamartia is you didn't hit the bullseye, you missed the mark. The point of what we're getting at in Scripture, in this study, this is the gospel, then what? Part three. I spent a lot of time on the title, and this is what I came up with. Part three. That was a joke. Everybody can laugh. That's been the title for three weeks now. We looked a couple of weeks ago at Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. For what purpose? That every mouth may be stopped. That we all become guilty and all of our but, 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 buts are stopped. There's this There's this misconception in the church. And even, I say today, but even when you read scripture, this is not a new misconception. We've been doing this misconception for a long time. We don't know why behavior matters. And that's really the point Tom texted me yesterday, and I think it was the Lord that sort of was like, you need to maybe remind him a little bit. He texted me, he's like, are you all set And I I don't know if he said focused, but I read focused for what you're going to share tomorrow. And I'm like, of course, in the middle of replying, I'm like, I do need to focus this. Or we could be on this general principle for a long, long time and never focus it. So this morning, I really want to focus on the why behavior matters. And there's a temptation Uh, you know, we talked this morning that this church is made up of of many parts, and our leadership is made up of many parts, and I love that the the way the Lord uses in all kinds of different ways, like there's all kinds of ways that you guys don't see that this leadership is all participating even in these messages, and there's little words that people that are elders or or just old people here at the church that are telling me things throughout the week or the months that are like, oh, that's a great reminder. I need to make mention of that, and as as I look across, I'm reminded the temptation Whenever we we talk about behavior, the temptation is to immediately go introspective, look at ourselves, look look into our own life and say, oh my goodness, I'm a terrible person. And then you can take away from church and you can say, Isaac preached about behavior, which number one, the first falsehood is that you might be tempted to think that I behave all the time. I don't have behavior figured out. One of the reasons that I pushed this whole sermon series off for as long as I did, because I'm like, Lord, I don't have this nailed. He said, you just tell them what I wrote and I'll explain the rest. That's what I'm going to do. Don't look at this. Number one misconception that I want to rebuke today is that I have this figured out. All of this figured out. We're reading scripture. We're studying through the word. Number two misconception is that you can choose to take away from this that something's wrong with you. Because I assure you, because you're still here and you all still have a pulse, that there's some area of your life that the Lord's like, you know, I made you to be better than that. There's some area, and the temptation is to be like, and to pick up what the, again, King James, we use the word condemnation. There's something wrong with me. No, there's a difference between there's something wrong with me and I did something wrong. Hallelujah. That's a hallelujah moment. There's a difference between something's wrong with me and I did something wrong. The enemy wants you to say there's something wrong with you something wrong with me. The Lord's like, no, you, and this is, we're skipping all over here. There's this thing, anybody ever heard the word, like, I'm I'm just an old sinner. I'm saved by grace. The problem with that is you aren't anymore. You were an old sinner, but now you got saved by grace. And if you got saved by grace to stay an old sinner, don't be shocked when that's all the fruit that you reap. Well, I'm just an old sinner, I'm saved by grace. What is that? You're just making an excuse. We're just making excuses. Like, well, you know, so how could I be expected to live any better? I'm just an old sinner. Everybody remember. It's like, why don't we get that on the back of our jersey? It's my, just my church jersey, and it says sinner on the back. So don't be surprised when I, exactly, I'm the missed mark archer. So don't expect me to hit the bullseye. We make, this, we make this caveat. It's like, well, you know, I'm just an old sinner but We got to change our language and start saying what God says about us. And Paul gives us examples, but we have to have the courage to read the Bible. You say, what do you mean? What do I mean? I mean, we have to read the Bible. And when we come to passages that talk about behavior, we got to read through them. We got to take a deep breath, throw our shoulders back, put our chin up and choose to read Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? All of us in grace circles were like, oh, let's skip to seven because he talks about how he still does what he doesn't want to do. That clears us, right? No, we're going to have the courage to read Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2. Somebody shout it out. Certainly not, or God forbid. Or do you not know, as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we should what? Somebody, as a few of you got your Bibles out and you're reading along here. Walk in newness of life. That does not sound like living the same old way we always have. That's a picture. Newness of life. There's an energy. There's a there's a change. So, uh, two 3 days ago, I think it was 3 days ago. It was 64 degrees outside. Everybody remember that day? That was awesome. Amen, Morgan. That was awesome. It felt like springtime. I was I was in line behind somebody and apparently they're new to Ohio. They were standing they were at the cash register and they were talking to the lady and they're like, I'm just not sure. Do you think winter's over? And I just started laughing. She kind of turned around. I didn't know this woman, so I shouldn't have laughed, but I overheard it, and I'm just like, she's like, what? I said, winter ain't even got started yet. Like, we're just getting started. We're going to have ice and sleet and snow and cold. And she just looked at me, and all of the light left her face, and I felt like a terrible person. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, I still got a cough. In walking in newness of life is got this picture. Just like two days ago, three days ago, that morning, did anybody else walk outside? It was before the sun was up. I walked outside, and there was a strong wind, and the air smelled different. And it was like, oh, today's going to be a warm day. And it was super windy. It was as, you know, as nice as it gets in February. But that's the idea. You know, when spring does get here, it feels altogether different. Like your nose just goes crazy. You walk outside and it's like, oh, I want to smell everything. Everything smells different. That's this picture in Romans chapter six, verse four. Therefore we're buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead. Does anybody know there's something different between being raised and being dead? That's about as different as it gets. We would say today because people don't talk in terms of being resurrected today, which is another sermon for another time, but we would say today, oh, it's as different as black and white. But you know what's more different than black and white? Dead and alive. There's no bigger difference. Something is dead and then it comes to life. It's like a huge, it's, there's no better comparison to reveal change, is there? Something was dead And now it's alive, and that's a picture. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We gotta choose to be courageous when we read Scripture. We gotta choose to keep reading. There's a temptation there. You can get to that verse, and you can be like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Because I look kind of like I used to look. How many of you know that's a victim mentality? We are not called to be victims. I'm feeling a little frank this morning, but we are not called to be victims, to sit down. Our culture loves victimhood. Figure out a way that you can say, oh, somebody hurt me, somebody wronged me, somebody did something wrong. Offense abounds in that culture. We're going to have frank conversations. We're going to have the courage to read this and read that last verse, that we, verse four of chapter six. We are making headway today. Verse four of chapter six, we're going to have the courage to read that, say, even so, we should walk in newness of life. Thank you, Jesus. We're gonna walk in newness of life. We're gonna walk, next week is the, next week's sermon, and I'm not gonna preach it. I promise, I'm not gonna preach it right now. Next week's sermon, we're gonna talk about the process part of this which is a hallelujah all unto itself. There's a process, and we gotta be okay with the process, but it starts with having the courage to read the word of God and then to submit. Everybody say submit. Having the courage to submit to what the Holy Spirit reveals in the word of God. That's a little, that's almost uncomfortable. What if he says, I made you to be better than this? What if he begins to convince you and I that we aren't who we used to be? We read the word convict and we hear convict. You ever, does anybody know that? You, it's spelled the same, convict, convict. We read it and we're like, oh, so we're, the Holy Spirit's supposed to make us a convict, supposed to make us guilty, like might as well send us off to prison. And out of that mentality, we draw this picture of, like, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a convict. Can't you see my number on my orange jumpsuit? And the Lord's like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit came to convict, to convince, to help you to see who you are now. It's not a conviction like a criminal. It's a convincing. It's like, you're my child. Two weeks ago, we looked at a little bit about the principle of we're not supposed to answer the phone the way we used to. We don't report to the same office we used to. Remember that? We talked about that at the end of the, I'm still in review. We talked about that uh, two weeks ago about how we can continue habitually going to the same office. And we were in like the maintenance department, low man on the totem pole, we were washing equipment, and now the Lord's like, you're the, you know you're the CEO? I, remember you're my kid. I, I gave you this company now, so stop going to the wash bay. Come up to your C-suite office. Remember we talked about that? That's this principle of being reminded that we are now to walk in newness of life. This morning, we're talking about the why. Why does it matter that we walk with that new spring air? Why does does it matter? Because for, for a long, long time, there's been bunches of the church that we... Our bar has been like, well, is misbehaving going to cost me heaven? If not, then it's probably just let it ride, which is a false, false narrative. comes from that false identity. Just an old sinner. Just an old sinner saved by grace. So it's like, uh, you know, it's not going to cost me heaven. I'm just going to kind of keep my head down, make it through this life. Danny Markley contributed to the message this morning, and he's noticeably absent If anybody sees him you want to say something to him about it he's not here so we could all text him or something but he did contribute hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 he shared this with me this morning and it's exactly what we're talking about and i'm like lord i know right where to put that hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 reads pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the lord Without which no one will see the Lord. In First uh, Peter, chapter two, the Apostle Peter. This is old Peter. This is if, if you know me for very long, you know that this is who I ascribe to be like. I like old Peter. I always tend to behave more like young Peter right now, but I'm going to behave like old Peter. First uh, Peter. Chapter 2, verse 9, it's a popular passage of Scripture. It reads, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So when we read that, <clears throat> there's a temptation, there's a temptation to read that first part and say, if I was a chosen generation, if I was a royal priesthood, if I was a holy nation of special people, I'd probably be living differently. I probably wouldn't be making missteps and failures. That's a temptation to read when you, when you read through that. But I love the way Paul starts, he, he lays it out here in verse nine, he says, you are, but you, and actually R is, if you notice, it's italicized in your Bible, which mean it was, it means it was, that word was added for readability. That's what that means. If you're reading through scripture and you see words that are italicized, those words were added for re- readability. So be careful if they're important defining words that can lead you astray. But in this, it doesn't lead us astray. It helps us to understand. He says, but you, a chosen generation. But you, you guys are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You're his own special people. But then he goes on, skip down to verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So even as, if you read this in reverse, you'll see that as sojourners and pilgrims, we have a choice, as the chosen generation of the royal priesthood, we have a choice to or to not abstain from fleshly lusts. That's a, a point worth making. We have a choice where, how we're going to live this life. You don't have to do all the things you've always done. And also... You don't have to straighten up perfectly. I like the the way I've heard it said before and I'm trying to think of who, I I don't know who said it first this way, but you're not free to sin, we're free from it. We're free from its grasp. But it's a choice. We have a decision in this. We are captains of our own destiny in this life. We decide, and we're going to get into this in the book of Colossians, we'll see a little bit more uh, what we're talking about here, but there's a There's a decision that we have to make. And I love the way Peter lays it out in verse 11 or 12. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. There's a purpose to this. This is what we're getting at. There's a purpose for right living. Now, you might be sitting here today and you might say, well, if it doesn't cost me heaven, then why? Anybody ever thought, I mean, that's that's our American version of the same thing that Paul kind of said in Romans chapter 6. Should I just keep sinning? Like, if grace abounds, when I screw up, should I just keep sinning? Because how could more grace be bad? Anybody ever, if, I've, I've shared this with a lot of people, and I hold to it with everything I have, if, and I'm not talking about here in church, I'm talking about in your own walk. Here in church, this is just a tiny little fraction of life as a believer. If in your heart, like in your knower, down here, if you aren't knocking on that door, of so do we just keep sinning so that grace may abound? If you've never passed that doorway in your walk of faith, I challenge that you've never heard the gospel in its entirety. The point isn't to stay there, church, hallelujah. The point's not to just, because you gotta keep reading. We have the courage to keep reading. We're not gonna stop at Romans 6, 1a. Should we just keep sinning till the grace may abound and leave it there? Because we finish it, the thought. Paul's like, God forbid, and he does this over and over again. But there's a point to not continuing a relentless hamartia lifestyle. The point, number one, it will cause death in your life. We talked about this in the beginning. It will bring about death in relationships. You can be born again and screw up so bad that your spouse leaves you Rightfully. You can be born again and screw up so bad that you die from some avoidable thing. This, isn't, this might not sound like good news because this, this is where the gospel gives, there's a license for you to make decisions in your life. You can choose to make good decisions and we can choose to make bad decisions. But it matters the choice you make because it will bring about death in your life. You can bring about, it'll bring about death to your body. It'll bring about death, and this is the next one we're gonna talk about. Sin, the hamartia, relentless hamartia living, where you're just missing the mark. I'm not talking about you're walking a walk of faith, and you're being transformed, and you make a mistake. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about willfully leaning into missed mark living. It's like, what What does it matter? It's gonna keep on doing it. It's not gonna cost me heaven. Whatever the thing is, it'll kill our witness. It'll bring about death. The wages, if you keep reading in Romans chapter 6, you get to Romans chapter 6, 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin will cut you a check. Do you know Sin will cut a believer a check. This isn't, nobody, this isn't preached real often, but sin will, even as a believer, sin will still cut you a check. A wage. I love the word wage. It's such a good picture. It's like, oh, I, get, I gotta get my check. I, get, I need to get paid. And, and some of us, like, have you ever had a job where you got paid every week? Those are the best jobs. You get them in high school. It's like, oh man, I get paid every week. And then you move on, it's like every couple weeks. And then eventually, a lot of times you end up in a position where you get paid Monthly. Or you could end up where you get commission. With sales, like you you sell something and it's like you you don't get your commission check. It could be a while, Trey, can it? It's like you don't always get them like, hey, I did the deal and now I get the commission. There's a while that passes. But you know what's interesting? As a human being in the workforce, we're never okay not getting our wage, are we? It doesn't matter how long passes. It does not matter. I had, uh, i work for myself. And I always have people talking about other business owners. And they're like, you ever get those customers that don't pay? And thank Jesus, I've had awesome customers. But you hear these stories. You know, I've heard stories from like 30, 40 years ago where somebody, Joe didn't pay Steve. In 1974, Joe didn't pay Steve 400 bucks. And now Joe's grandkid is dating Steve's grandson, and now it's like, we don't like them. We've, we remember these things, don't we? You know what? We remember it's like, I'm going to get what's coming to me, I'm going to get mine." Because I did that job, and I, I'm going to get what's mine, I'm going to get it. Coming. It's coming. It's owed me. That same principle of a wage. You bring that into, sin will cut you a check. It'll always cut us a check even as a believer. But, this is, anybody ready for some good news? That's like, that's pretty heavy. Whew, that's heavy. The good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anybody love gifts? I love gifts. So while sin can still cut a believer a check, it has lost the ability to pay us eternal wages. It has lost the ability to, that is, man, if somebody... Christ is the only hallelujah I got on that. It has lost the ability to pay us eternal wages. Thank you, Jesus. It'll still pay us wages in this life. We can still experience it, but it cannot pay us eternal wages. Thank you, Jesus. The, the death that comes to our witness, so we gotta circle back to that. There's a point in our not screwing up, in our choosing to be different. We are here so the world will see the Lord. That verse in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people in holiness means to be set apart. Choose that so that, the idea is, without which no one will see the Lord, so that people will see the Lord. We're here as representatives and liaisons. We're representing our Father in heaven When we knock on a door, we're not knocking on the door as the nobody that we were before we got born again. We're starting a conversation as a child of the king, which makes you a prince, an heir to the throne. We don't understand royalty In our culture today, American culture, we don't grasp royalty. They understood royalty a lot better back then. But you've been raised from a peasant with no hope. You're never gonna be anything but a peasant on your own. Your destiny is sealed. You will always and forever be a peasant. And then Jesus comes along and gives you eternal gifts. And he says, you're no longer a peasant. Now you are an heir to the throne. All of heaven's resources are at your disposal. Do you still want to walk around like a peasant? If we have the ability to carry ourselves as heirs to the throne, do you still want to walk in the dust and the dirt of a peasant? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 2. We have a lot of scripture that we intended to make it to, and we've been talking a lot The last thing we looked at last week, and then we'll keep going. Uh, In Titus, we see Paul explain that it's the grace of God that teaches us. And we're going to look, we're going to come back to that next week because it's the grace of God that allows us to do this process. There's a a thing every year that passes, this is going to shock all of you, I get older. Every year. And I know I don't look it, but every year that passes, I do get older. And the Lord reveals more and more that he's okay with process. He's okay with time. He created time. He's outside of time, and he's okay. He will walk with us hand in hand. And, and I think, like I said, young Peter and, and young Isaac, we, we're like, it's really easy to get really excited and passionate and then frustrated because something doesn't change right away. And you, you could feel condemnation. You could bring your own condemnation. You know, sometimes we make we're the, we're the best source of our own condemnation. Our own condemning ourselves no longer fit for use. Remember, we talked about that like years ago. Probably nobody remembers it. But condemnation in its simplest form. You know, if you were to walk up here this morning and there was a sign on the door that said the fire department or the fire coat, whatever the Fulton County engineers have said this building has been condemned, you would know to turn around. You would say it's no longer fit for use. We're the best at doing that to ourselves. And what the Lord's really shown me is like, just over the last probably five months, reading through Paul's letters, the Lord's like, why do you think the New Testament is all made up of, this is what you have to do to be born again, this is what happens when you get born again, and these are the things that I want you to work on. And then you get to the next book. This is what you need to do to be born again, uh, this is what happens when you get born again. And these are the things I want you to work on as a new creation. Over and over. And the Lord's like, because I'm patient, I don't expect everybody to get it the first book. Read Romans. If you don't, make it through, if you don't get it in Romans, I'm not giving you any more books. No, he's like, I oh, will give you more. We'll write it to the church at Corinth. We'll write it to the church at Galatia. We'll write it to the church at Colossae, we'll write it all over. We'll just keep writing it and then you get to the end of the Bible, you get to the end of the canon of Scripture and it's like you see John is writing it again and Peter is writing it again, the same stuff. Abstain from this stuff. This is who you are, remember. This is who you are, remember. I never leave you, I won't forsake you, I've given you the Holy Spirit to help navigate this. This isn't like the Lord gives you the Bible and he's like, so uh, you know, work hard on trying to be better and, and good Good luck. That's not how he rolls. He's like, this is the word. This is the the verbal text. Now, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to interpret and breathe on the word. And the word will take you know what? I love that when the Holy Spirit breathes on the word, it's the principle of, of how did God make Adam a living being? breathed into his nostrils and man became a living soul or a speaking spirit. When the Holy Spirit breathes on the word of God, he's going to show us, he's going to convince us of things. The last scripture that, possibly the last scripture we're going to look at today, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 on for a little while. This is Paul explaining to the church at Colossae this new life. We're going to kind of skip through some stuff, Colossians chapter 2, and then into Colossians chapter 3, because there's something I want us to see here. In him, in Jesus, you also were circumcised in the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive what role in that part that verse we just read what role do we play in that you being dead in your trespass how much does a dead guy have to do with us very little He has made you alive. Thank you, Jesus. He has made you alive. That should ring in our hearts. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses. Oh, no, no, no. Having forgiven all your trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Jesus won by the rules. He played by all the rules. He stepped to every law, every jot and every tittle, every comma and every exclamation point Jesus stepped to to remove that from our standing. We don't have to do all of that to be righteous. Now, we're going to skip down to chapter 3. Not, we're not skipping over stuff. Everybody, I'm not skipping over something that I'm afraid to read. We're running out of time. We're going to get to chapter 3. I encourage you to read the whole book of Colossians. It'll change your world. But we get a verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, if you were raised with Christ, which we just looked at that. We read it in Romans and we just read it again in Colossians. That that's how, that's a picture of when we get born again, if you were raised with Christ, if you're born again in here today, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as your salvation, you've been raised with Christ. Just to clear that up. If you're looking at that like, I'm not sure, was I raised? Am I waiting to be raised? No, you were raised with Christ. If you were born again, seek those things which are above. Oh, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Whew. That's a good one. Set your mind on things which are above, not on things of the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The part of you that has all the fleshly desires is dead. Hallelujah. It's no longer here. The part of you that has all those is dead. So, but then he goes on, therefore, put to death. I thought it was dead. Your nature has been changed. Your desires, they're still there. The desires are still there. The desires to earn your own righteousness are still there. The desire to misbehave, they're all still there. So Paul goes on. He's like, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he gives us a list. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once... And I implied in that once formally, formerly walked when you lived in them. But now you are to put off all these. He's, you, see, you guys see this kind of tennis match? You are a new person in Christ. You've been, if you've been raised, then don't this. If you have been raised, then don't this. You see, it's kind of like it goes back and forth. He's, he's painting us a picture He's, but what he's not saying, and it's important to notice, he's not saying, you were born again. If you screw up, you're not born again anymore. Can Breathe a little bit. No, he says, you're free from it. You're not free to it. And it's not a defining moment. It's not like, well, if you're not abstaining perfectly, then you're not a Christian. He's saying, since you are a Christian, this is that picture of the Holy Spirit's job of, convincing us. He's always there, always with us, never leaves us, never forsakes us, convincing us to be who we are. He goes on. Verse 8, now yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, therefore as the elect of God, chosen. (sighs) I love being chosen. That's the best. As the chosen of God, holy and beloved, put these things on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Implied in verse 13 is that someone is still going to wrong you as a believer. We could preach that for like a few weeks. We're, you're still going to be wronged by people that are born again. I just want to say that so that everybody in here is like, oh, oh. You are going to be wronged in this life. And so our reaction to being wronged by a believer, sue them into oblivion, Nope. Bearing with one another. Enduring is in that picture of bearing. It's to endure with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, wait a second, there's going to be complaints in the body of Christ? Paul, I feel like you should have said that in verse 1. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, the umbrella over all of this is the picture. The big tent. Anybody ever been to like a a circus? Probably not. They don't do circuses anymore. I went to a circus when I was a kid, which was not that long ago. And you go under the big tent, and the big tent was over everything. There was room for elephants to stand on each other's backs in this big tent. The overarching big tent of this whole thing, of all of the putting off, And all of the putting on, the big tent over it all, is to put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful let the word of christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him we got to skip a big chunk of this yet i want to get to verse 23 it says whatever you do do it heartily as to the lord and what not to men I had this picture where we were going to get to this earlier. This seems like a contradiction to something we talked about a minute ago. Anybody, did anybody catch the contradiction? It seems, because we just read where we're like, yo, know, Peter, and in Hebrews, it's like, we're supposed to do, do good things so that people will see. Aren't we just taught we're a witness. We're a liaison. Does this see, does anybody get the contradiction? It seems like, what do you mean? This says don't do it to men, and we just talked about doing things as a representative. And I hope that we're, we have a, our spiritual maturity is growing to the point that we can see we are not doing it in order to please men because then we're slipping, it's a very slippery slope into self-righteousness. We're not called to impress anybody. Anybody. We're called to represent the king of kings. There's a difference. Can anybody see the difference in that? It's not like just go out and try to please everybody. Try to impress everybody. No. Like, well, try not to swear because people, you know, you want to impress people that you don't swear. Eh, no. Rather, think about the difference between try not to do something for man's approval. Think about the difference here. Try not to do something, whatever the thing is, so that men will be impressed with you and try to do things because you've been made a child of the king. That's a totally different picture. It's like, I don't, it doesn't matter who sees, and you know that in your shortcomings, as the body of Christ, as we grow in health, as a body of Christ, we're gonna get big and strong at things like tender mercies. We're gonna get big and strong with things like kindness. Here, when, when do we need humility? all the time, but especially when we make a mistake, don't we? Ooh, I need to have humility. In fact, all of this needs humility, meekness, patience. When do we need forgiveness? When we've either done wrong to someone or been wronged. We're going to get big and strong at this to the point that when wrongs come and they will, when disagreements come and they can and will, we're able to walk right through them not being knocked off course but loving each other under that tent of the love of Jesus loving each other so even in shortcomings we're able to display the love of Jesus to the world <clears throat> the world they don't need they don't need to see a group of people who pretend that they don't do anything wrong that attractive to anybody the reason it's not attractive is because we all know it's an act there's something off-putting about somebody who acts like they've never done anything wrong isn't there anybody ever been like they're better we're better because in, built into it knowing our own shortcomings knowing our own even our perceived shortcomings if someone i'm walking through life with somebody and they basically never tip their hand on what their struggles are it's just like what do you think you're better than me It's implied in it It's like, yeah, I'm better than you. I don't make mistakes. I don't struggle with that. It is off-putting. The church is not called to be that. We're called to step up who we are in Christ. We're called to read Scripture and to not read around stuff. To let the Holy Spirit take Scripture into our own hearts, peel back the layers, and say, Isaac, I made you for better than that. I made you to speak better than that. Get off your high horse. To let Scripture speak into our hearts. To bring, it's the most uncomfortable word we've said all day. Everybody, brace yourself. Maybe hold on to your chair for a minute. We're going to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to bring correction. I should sit down for that. We're going to allow the word of God to to speak into our hearts and to make corrections. If you notice on your bulletin, there is a declaration from two weeks ago. And I sent it to Trey, sent it to Adrian. She types the thing or puts it all together. And what I never told her or Trey, either one of them, is that they can make corrections to that. Because I am, just being transparent, I'm not the greatest speller in all the free world. And I never told her that, so she didn't ever make the copy, make the correction. There's a typo in the middle of it. I'm giving them free reign now that when they receive something from me, they can edit. They can make a correction to that. Do we as believers have the humility this morning to let the Word of God? I, and this is where it gets weird because people are like, so you want to be able to correct me? No, I'm not going to correct you. I'm not, I'll speak what the Word says. I'm asking you, do we have the humility to allow the Word of God to bring correction in our lives? To re, take the Word of God. And allow the word of God to speak into our lives about who we are. Jerry did a teaching, he's done a lot of them on it, but uh, many years ago in the book of James and the mirror of the word of God, the perfect law of liberty. Do we have the courage to look into the perfect law of liberty and see what the Lord says about us and to allow it to correct us knowing that the correction from our Father is always rooted and grounded in our well-being. When the, when the Lord brings correction into our life, you've got to remember, He created us. He sent His Son to die on our behalf. You think He's got your best interest at heart? It's important, though, that we talk about this because have. Has anybody here ever been corrected by somebody that you didn't think have had the cred to correct you? Like, who are you? Me too, Trey. You and I. We're the only ones. A few of you. Maybe, like, somebody where you're like, somebody brings it correct. Maybe it's somebody in a church service. Maybe it's a podcast. The, I think my favorite ones are when people send you a podcast, and I've had this happen a handful of times in my life, where people are, somebody, usually not somebody from here, but Something like, "Oh, I thought of you when I heard this. They'll send you the link and you listen to it, and all you hear is correction. And it's like, "Really, you thought of me?" And I don't know this person that's preaching. I don't know, I don't know if they have my best interest at heart or if they just want to make themselves feel better. Or on the job site. Anybody? Like in, in working conditions, it's like you know all the experience you've got. You know like, I know what I know I know what I'm doing. And then somebody comes along that you never met before and they're like, hey, you know what? You should do this this way. You're like, you should, you should watch your mouth. Tell me what I should do. And it's like, because you don't know. Now, like in my profession, somebody could walk up to me and they could say, you know what? You're doing that wrong. You should do this this way. If I know that they've been welding for 75 years, they've done underwater welding and welding on skyscrapers and every other thing, it's like, well, yeah, you know What? <clears throat> I'll probably just listen to them. Probably just listen to them. But if I don't know any of that and they just come in and they just hammer on some correction, you're doing that wrong. I wouldn't do that that way. I'd preheat that more. I'd adjust those settings. Like I can't receive from you. And so as believers, this is why it's so important. That's not the Lord in our lives. It's your Father. He's your good Father. He's got your best interest at heart. Understand, you were a nobody destined for hell. He said, I want that one. He sent his son. He's like, he's never going to make it. He's not going to make it on his own. He doesn't stand a chance. Look at the last five minutes. I'll go. I'll go for him. I'll go for that one. Insert yourself. I'll go for that one. I'll pay what he can't pay. I'll die a death that he doesn't have to die to bring him to us. Does that guy get to speak into your life? Do you see how different that is than a preacher standing up here saying, "Uh, everybody, we should put off anger. Nobody be angry anymore. Don't be angry like I'm not angry. Like, what? Obviously, Melinda's looking at me. I was, that was, I was not saying that. <laughs> it's so different when you understand the heart of your father behind it. Tom, you want to come play us a little music? I want to invite us this morning to understand that we are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood. This putting the old man off or putting the old man to death, putting on the new man. This is a powerful picture of being reminded who we are. Not who we're trying to become. I want you to think about that. The Lord's not telling you, this is who I want you to try to be. I want you guys to try to be less angry. I want you guys to try to be better. It's not what this is at all. This is the Lord saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. I gave you this DNA. This walk of, of faith as a believer is an interesting one, and it's about um, growing in integrity, is really what it's about. What I mean by integrity is like uh, shining, learning to step away from hypocrisy. So Jesus says, This is who you are. Then he sends his spirit to write all of this New Testament to tell you, remind you who you are in him, over and over and over and over again. And he never leaves us, he never gives us a don't without a do. Never gives us a don't without a do, which is really helpful because as humans, if you just try and don't something, it's like you're going to do that thing. But if you can exchange a don't for a do, which is what the New Testament is full of, it allows you to gain some traction. And I love the picture of it. It allows you to put some distance between the old man. And as we step into this next week, I want to leave you with a picture. If I tell you you all got to look up here, and if you're listening, it doesn't help you at all. If you're listening online. But if I tell you, I'm called to stand up here. I'm called to stand on the stage. That's who I am. I'm a preacher that stands on the stage. I'm a preacher, and I'm, I'm called to stand on the stage. And I'm, I'm called to stand on the stage. I'm called to stand up tall on the stage. And you're watching me right now, like, well, doggone it, let go of the podium. But that's where I've always stood I've always stood by the podium I've always kind of held on to it for stability there's a picture in this of us as believers where the Lord's like I've called you to stand up here and the only way you can stand up here you got to remember I've called you to stand up here so to have the courage to step away let go and put a little bit of distance between who you used to be See, I can't touch it anymore. I'm putting distance between it. And as a believer, the Lord's inviting us. He says, put a, few, put a few steps between your old man and who you are today. Have the courage and don't be discouraged when you take a step up and you catch yourself as the old man. Because there's another book after Colossians that reminds us again. And there's another book after 1 Peter that reminds us Again, see, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he's patient. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. This is an invitation to begin to take steps, to bring your day-to-day life in alignment with your spirit, your recreated Spirit, the life that you live in the spiritual dimension, to bring those closer together, and the life that you live in the natural to put distance between it. Trey, what do you got?
1: We didn't plan this. Yeah, we didn't. I didn't plan on coming up here today. But you know, one one thing that I have always been um, aware of is how things apply to your life. Uh, I used to go to colleges and like speak to people um, because like, once I graduated, I'd go back and speak to some of my sales um, professor's classes because I always felt there was a lack when I was sitting in class. I'm like, man, we're talking about future jobs and our current role, the role that you want to take and the position you want to have. But there was no one that ever like, came in and talked to us that was already working in that position. So that's, that, that was the gap I wanted to fill. That was one thing I thought that would be applicable to the people that were still in college. And it's amazing, like, the feedback I've gotten. People that want to meet, they have questions. They're like, man, I feel so much better talking to somebody that's on the outside world doing what I want to do. It's important, too, to do that here. It's one thing that we don't do. There's there's really no feedback. Some of the feedback is through, like, secondhand. You might hear about it, like, someone liked or disliked the sermon that you gave. Or you might have someone come up and say, hey, what you said like really impacted me and that's awesome. Oftentimes, like, I feel like it might fall on deaf ears. <clears throat> One thing that I, that, I, that I felt led to do today is come up here and say, you know, it's not all about like a behavioral change. It's not the sin verb part of it because all of us could think of something that we lack, something that we're struggling with, and we could say, well, we should probably change this part. One thing that I've uh, started doing this year, um, particularly in our home, is what do we identify as? Because sinning is also wrong believing. So one, one thing that's made it a lot easier for me is like instead of just saying, I'm done doing this cold turkey, it's telling myself what's the right belief to have. So how do I identify as a child of God rather than a human being who's struggling with X? That's been life-changing. So start there, the getting up onto the stage thing, that's an action verb. To some people that might seem like a big step, but knowing that you can do it and saying, I could get up there, I am capable because of Jesus, that's everything, because all of this taken into one, you could say, oh man, like a ton of changes, Jesus wants us to like have like a sanctification or a behavioral change. Stop sinning. Sin is also wrong belief, right? So that's been huge for me. That's something I wanted to share because just right belief can be put you on the right on the right path.
0: And I think I think with what Trey, thank you Trey. I think what with that the picture of stepping away from the podium, it starts with taking your hand off of it. It's one step to take your hand off and then to step up. And we're going to get into this next week and some of what Trey said is going to be uh, what we're going to look into a little deeper, that this is a process. And the Lord gives us book after book after book in the New Testament of reminding us who we are. And you're 100% right, Trey. This is an identity thing. What do you identify as? Who do you identify as? And I'll add one more. Whose do you identify as? Do you wake up and you say, I am a child of God or I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, I am a chosen generation. I am royal priesthood. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's important what you say about yourself. If you would stand with me this morning, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration. There's so much we could say about this. We're gonna continue this discussion and I pray I prayed before I came this morning and I'm going to pray when I'm done with this declaration that nobody takes condemnation or negative off-putting from this. This is an invitation. This is an invitation from the Father into your hearts. Here at The Rock, we declare that we are blessed. We are blessed people and highly favored, a chosen generation, and we are a royal priesthood, anointed and appointed. For such a time as this, to represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to our world. We know this world isn't our best friend, and it will face uncertainties and difficulties, but we declare with absolute certainty with the Apostle John that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're confident as believers in Jesus. We've been made sons and daughters of the King. And as such, the promises of God found in Scripture, they are yes, And they are amen. Let it be as we have said to the glory of God the Father. Bow with me if you would. Father, I thank you and praise you this morning for the work that you did on the cross and in the grave and at the right hand of the Father Jesus. We just thank you so much that you are seated because the work is done. Lord, we look forward to the things that you're going to reveal about who we are in Scripture. Thank you so much, Father, for meeting us And everywhere that we're given a don't, you've given us a do, a thing to think on who we are. Lord, I thank you for your patience and your long suffering. I just thank you that the work is finished on the cross. We are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. I pray a blessing now, the blessing of Abraham over this body. We pray this blessing as each person goes from this place. We pray the blessing of health, the blessing of strength. Father, I pray confidence, not arrogance, but confidence that you are with us as we go from this place, Lord. We would hold our heads high as sons and daughters of the King, confident that you go with us everywhere that we go. And that reality is greater than anything that we may face. Any hardship, any tragedy, any lack, any difficulty, any sickness, Lord, It is all less than and beneath the feet of you being with us, the presence of God in our lives. We just thank you so much that no matter what we experience in this life, we know that you hold our hand. We have the hope of eternity before us. pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said amen.